All right, so how's everybody doing tonight? Well, good, good. It's good to see you. Good to be, um, good to be back tonight, and um, it's great to um, hear what God is doing in the Middle East. And uh, Ray and Sue, thank you all so much for the work you do. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away as to what God, um, how God takes these little things and, um, and does such big, big work with it. Um, the young lady who baptized herself, um, I'm not even worried about whether that's theologically correct or not. So <laughs> just, I mean, if there's nobody else around, you know, um, just what, what an amazing story of, um, and the song, I thought the song was an amazing, amazing song, uh, uh, just about the grace of God. So, uh, so very, very cool. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we, um, we've been talking about, um, you know, God has given every one of us a story, that uh, you have a story, I have a story, and, um, and that's, those stories are amazing stories, and uh, we tell stories with all kinds of, uh, whether it's our careers, whether it's our family, we have these stories that we tell, and, um, and we tell them in such a way that at the end, we want to have the happily ever after ending, where someone steps onto the stage and said, and they live happily ever after. And uh, even if you, um, you know, there are plot twists to our stories where there's a change of direction, where we end up going in another direction, God has us going in another direction, and, um, and yet it's all for his glory and honor. And so even if you don't have a bunch of plot twists where resolution doesn't happen, um, we all um, have a common villain. There's a plot twist, and that's death. But then we found out there's a plot twist to the plot twist, where Jesus um, is raised again from the dead. Death had won every single battle up to that point, and Jesus uh, is raised again from the dead with all power, so in that moment, he actually, he actually uh, defeats and is victorious over hell and the grave and Satan and sin and temptation. And the amazing thing about this is, this victory, that he shares it with us. He actually says that you can share in the power that I have. You are more than conquerors. You are super Nikes. And, and again, it's a, it's a mind-blowing effect that you and I have power over sin and over temptation. You and I have power through Jesus over the world and over Satan. He shares this with us. And yet, we, uh, even though he shares this with us, we find ourselves uh, dealing with um, dealing with strongholds or obstacles that keep us from telling a better story with our lives. And so we talked about how, you know, if, 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 um, how you and I can recognize, we need to recognize strongholds in our lives, recognize that we, uh, we fight against a common enemy, and then um, to, we, we deal with strongholds through spiritual weapons and not physical weapons, not human weapons. So we do it with truth. And we do it with our identity, who we are in Christ, and we do it in community. And so, 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 so there are things that keep us from living out that story. 
And so even though Jesus has shared this with us, and so over the next uh, few times, I won't be able to deal with every single stronghold out there, but I do want to take a look at at least three of them. And tonight we're going to take a look at one that, is, um, that I think is, is relatively significant. And so I hope this actually works. And I want, you, I want to show you a clip. My man. Hey, my man, you still there? Hey. What, did you pass out or? No, I just like zoned out for a second. Oh, okay. Do you do that a lot? Uh. <laughs> well, if, um, if you're, you know, if you find yourself uh, daydreaming like Walter Mitty, um, and wishing you can do something, um, wishing you can do something that is, uh, that is heroic. If you find yourself like him, and uh, he dreams throughout the entire movie of, of doing something amazing, and yet he's such a passive individual. He doesn't dive into uh, life. And, um, and so, uh, Walter Mitty actually, I believe, had, um, if you, I mean, if, if, we had, if we were using him, a stronghold of passivity. And, um, and he did not do the kinds of things that he, um, he really wanted to do. If you find yourself um, wishing you or thinking about doing the things, um, actually, doing the things, uh, you find yourself doing other things, other than the things that you, uh, you know you need to do, you might be guilty of passivity. If you find yourself um, uh, feeling uh, defensive when someone, um, when someone brings up an issue in your life, you may find yourself dealing with the stronghold of passivity. If you find yourself thinking about, um, man, I'm like a lazy bum, you might be guilty of the stronghold of passivity. Or if you find yourself not dealing with issues, real big issues, and you ignore them or avoid them, then you might be dealing with the issue, the stronghold of passivity. And that can keep you and I from actually telling a better story with our lives. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about that and hopefully, um, hopefully give us some, um, some fodder for, for thinking. So, so what is passivity? Passivity is this. It is a cessation of action or refusal to act when our will requires us to be active. That is what passivity is. It is a cessation of action or refusal to act when our will requires us to be active. When we know we should be doing something, our will shuts down and we don't do what we know is right to do. We don't do that thing that we know that God desires us to do. So here's another way of saying it is this. Passivity is the inertia of the will. That is, it is dormant. It lies dormant when it should be moving, doing something, making decisions, making choices that will change the trajectory of your life and the life of other people. 
it shuts down. It doesn't do anything. I sit there and I just let life go by, kind of like the secret life of Walter Mitty. Life just simply passed him by and he dreamed about doing things, but never actually did anything about it. All right, so it's kind of like here, like this spinning top. A spinning top is designed. This is probably from um, Inception, right? So this is this is designed to actually move, to actually have movement, and to to, to actually spin. But it's it's not moving. And our wills were designed by God to actually move and make choices and decisions and to bring glory to God. But for some of us, our wills lie dormant like this spinning top when it should be spinning, moving, doing something, making decisions, it's inactive. So the question I began to ask myself, where in the world did passivity originate? Where did it show up, and where do we see it? And not only where do we see it, how do we see it acted out and played out in Scripture? Because that's where we want to go. We want to always go back to Scripture and find out where did something originate. So if you want to go deal with violence, you go to Genesis chapter 4, and we see violence happen. You want to see uh, where a woman, where, where women actually usurp the authority of their husbands, you go back to Genesis chapter 3. If you want to see where everything starts, I believe you can go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you and I can see the origination of the good and the origination of when it was tainted. And I think if we go back to Genesis, we can see where passivity actually begins. And so let's take a look at a passage. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. This is Genesis 3. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you who will not die, surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one, uh, tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Whoa. Did you all get that? That here we see the very beginning, the very beginning of passivity. So we see that that the, the serpent, the serpent, um, actually, then the eyes of both of them were open, open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, uh, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. So here we have uh, the serpent who uh, Satan took the form of a serpent, 
And the serpent tempts Eve. And the way the serpent tempts Eve is by what we talked about last, last night, is that she, the serpent began to make Eve doubt God. To doubt God's promises, to doubt God's character. And so Eve began to not only listen to the serpent, but Eve began to actually believe what the serpent was actually saying. That maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe God is not all that good. Maybe God's character is tainted. And so there in this moment, Eve begins to believe the serpent. Not only that, she takes the fruit, and more than likely it probably wasn't an apple, but this, these are the, the, uh, the, the stocks, the pictures that I had, all right? So, so she takes the fruit and gives it to her husband, who was with her, the text says. Beginning of passivity. So I want to I want to I want to show you something. I want to um, I love what Viktor Frankl, uh, Austrian neurologist and survivor of uh, the Holocaust. I love this is an amazing quote, and you can li- you can you can actually see this played out in our lives. All right. So between stimulus and response, stimulus and response, there is space. So 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 between. The time when you receive information and when you make a decision about that information, there is a space between stimulus and choice. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So I, 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 looked, at this, I looked at this quote, and it's, amaz- it's an amazing quote, and I start asking myself the question, Where was the space between when Eve and Adam and Eve received the information from the serpent and when Adam actually had the power to make a choice? So between the time the serpent said, here is the fruit, you'll be wise, God is not going to get you, Adam being right there, there was space there to make a choice. And I believe that Adam had an opportunity at least four places and four choices he could have made between the time when Eve actually bit into the the fruit and when he bit into the fruit, there was a choice that they could have made, that he could have made, so that we would not have been lost in sin. There were four places, and I'm going to try to give you these four, these four spots where I believe Adam, the, uh, the opportunities that he had. The first opportunity is this. Adam could have intervened at the very moment the serpent began talking, and he could have killed the serpent. He could have got something. He could have got a rock. He could have got a stick. He could have got something and killed the serpent. He could have said, you know, wait a minute, serpents are not supposed to talk. And so the moment the serpent said that, he could have like, I don't know, like, I mean, they didn't have Uzis and stuff back then. But he could have pulled out something, a stake or something, a tree, and he could have killed 
the serpent at that moment. So between Viktor Frankl's stimulus and response, their space, he could have filled that space by killing the, the serpent. Here's another opportunity that he had. Another opportunity that he had. The second opportunity he had, he could have actually, um, he could have actually intervened. And, um, and as soon as Eve picked up the fruit, this is a little bit more aggressive, but he could have slapped the fruit out of her hand. Now, that's a little bit more aggressive. Now, that's not abuse, but it's a little bit more aggressive. But it would have gotten the job done, and we would not have experienced sin. He could have filled the space with a little bit more aggression between stimulus and response. He could have filled that space with slapping the fruit out of Eve's hand. He could have done that. And yet, he did nothing. He's actually standing there. While the serpent is talking to Eve, he's actually standing there. And when she gets ready to bite the fruit, he just, I, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's posting on Instagram. Maybe he's tweeting this. And maybe he's doing on Facebook. Maybe he's on Telegram. I don't know. Maybe he's, he's doing that. And he could have done something in that moment, but there was the inertia of the will. His will did not move. And as a result, Eve ate, and he ate. Here's a third opportunity that he had. Third opportunity that he had. Um, he could have, um, uh, he could have, now, now most, a lot of women, they're not, you're not going to like this, but he could have, as the head of the house, he could have commanded her, girl, you better not eat that fruit. Girl, you better not, hey, hey, stop, don't. I command you as the head of the household not to eat that fruit. He could have done that. Now, again, it, that's not abuse. That is not, um, that is not verbal abuse. It is just simply I need to protect my wife, and I need to protect the garden, and I need to protect our lives. And so because God has given me this leadership role, I command you not to eat that fruit. He could have done that. That's Viktor Frankl's stimulus and response. There's space. And in that moment, he could have filled that space with a command not to eat the fruit. Here's a fourth thing. A fourth opportunity that he had to intervene is um, um, he could have watched Eve take a bite of the fruit and say, you know something? Girl, you are disobeying God. And you know something? I'm going to let you die all by yourself. God made one rib out of, out of, made you out of one rib. I got another rib, and I think he can do the same thing that he did. So bye-bye, Eve. See you later. He could have done that. He could have just let her eat it and not take it himself. But what ended up happening is this, is that she ate, and then she handed it to him, and he ate. Here's the ultimate act of passivity. He did nothing. He watched Satan ruin his home. He watched the serpent wiggle its way into his home, into, his, into the garden, into the lives of his family, 
and just let Satan run rampant and cause all kinds of havoc in his life. And I think that that passivity has been passed down to men and women in our world. So we sometimes just let Satan walk into our homes and let, them, let him run havoc with our children and run havoc with our, our wives and run havoc with our husbands and run havoc in our families and our, our, our lineage. And we just let him do it. And we just say, we just sit back, sit back and we do absolutely nothing. We don't pray him out of our house. We don't put on the armor and say, you cannot have our family. You cannot have our, uh, our, um, our marriage. You cannot have our finances. You cannot have our jobs. You cannot have our children. You cannot have our neighborhood. We sit back sometimes, myself included, and just let him run rampant. I come from, I come from, I have to learn diligence because my dad was a passive man. And I have to, I had to learn diligence. I had to learn diligence by the power of the Spirit of God and say, God, where do you want me to work? What do you want me to do to actually accomplish what you desire me to accomplish? So, so, Adam just let it happen. And as a result of Adam's passivity, you and I are dealing with sin in our own lives from the very beginning. We were born in sin. If Adam had just filled the gap with movement, choice, decision, we would not have experienced what we're what we've experienced. So let me, I, I want to say a few, thing, a few things about passivity. These are going to be some strong things, but, but I think they're, they're right out of the text that we just read. Number one, passivity is sin. Point blank. Passivity is sin. If you and I know what to do and we don't do it, the text says, the Bible says it's sin. Check it out. Um, Actually, let's see if we can. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So let me go back. So not only that, passivity is actually evil. It's not only sin, but it's actually evil. It is, it goes against the nature of God. Why? Because God is an acting God. God is a non-passive God. God says, I am going to make humanity. That's action. God says, not only am I going to make humanity, but the moment humanity sinned, you know what God, God did? God went into action, and he actually began to plan salvation in the midst of the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. God is an active God. He is always doing something. He is always making decisions. He is always making choices for you and for me for our best interest. So to not act when we should act, it's actually evil. But not only that, it's passivity is rebellion against God. It's actually going in a different direction that God desires us to go. 
So not only is passivity sin and evil, it is actually rebellion against God. We're saying God is a God who acts. God is a God who moves. God is a God who makes decisions. And when I choose not to make a decision in this moment, at this time, that is right, that is godly, that is God-honoring, I am choosing to act opposite of God. So here we got a couple of verses. Um, here's a passage, Martin Luther King. He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetuate it. Very, very strong. He who accepts evil without protesting against it really is really cooperating with it. So let me give me, give me some feedback. What do you think of that? So, so here it is. He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who, uh, he who helps to perpetuate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. How, did that, how does that strike you? Just, just give me some feedback. How does that strike you? Yeah, it's right. Yeah, it's right. How else does that strike you? Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, I'm responsible for my own actions, and, and if I see something, and I know that it's evil, I know that it's happening, whether it's in my neighborhood, whether it's in my jo- on my job, whether it's in my family, I now become responsible to actually do something about it. Okay, Romans 13. Talk, talk to me. Okay, that's... Um, Again, we, when we look at uh, there, is a, there is a submission to government, but when the government actually is going against God, then we have a responsibility to, just like the, the disciples in Acts chapter 4, I, we will choose to obey God than Caesar or anyone else. And there is, there is the ridicule, there is the... There is the um, uh, the persecution that happens with that. And I believe that you and I will see more persecution in days to come than we're seeing right now because if you and I decide to stand on God's word and make hard decisions on that, I think we're going to, we're going to see a lot more persecution. I think we're seeing a little bit of it now, but I think we're going to see more of it. If we claim to, claim, if we claim to follow Jesus... Um, it will be a hard road in days to come. Joel. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it really is easy. And, and I think sometimes we go out to the larger, the, the larger world when, when there are decisions that need to happen even in our homes on a daily basis. So, so sometimes we, we, take a, we take a tendency to go to stretch it out, big, big world, 
And I think the moment that when you and I act in, in um, immediate moments, everyday moments where we are not passive, then it creates a desire, creates capacity to handle the larger moments, the larger decisions and choices that we need to make. But if I am being passive with my children, if I'm being passive in my home, or if I'm being passive on my job, if I'm being passive in my devotion time, then, then how can I be expected to, be, to make big, big choices out there when I'm letting the smaller choices go um, in, in, my personal, in my personal life? All right? Anybody else? How, how does this hit you? Yes. I'm sorry. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So there's a there's the issue of salt and light um, that that um, that pushes us to do the hard thing. That. Absolutely. Yeah, light, light does its best work in darkness. And part of what it means to be diligent and not passive is, is sometimes we enter into the darkness and we make decisions and choices that, um, that, need, to be, that need to be made. And so, so this is, and again, this is a big, this is a big deal, particularly among followers of Jesus Christ today. Because what we have a tendency to do as followers of Jesus, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. And if I can just live my life and live my life and nobody bothers me, I'll be okay. But Jesus says, I've created you to actually go in the world and I've created you to do some things and to be light and salt in a dark world so that people will know that there's a God who actually loves and cares uh, about us. All right, so, so this, is, this, is a big, this is a big deal. So, so how do you and I begin to, based on what we see in the Genesis passage, how do you and I begin to actually live a life that is non-passive? And I think the first thing is embrace that passivity contradicts who you are. We are image bearers, and God is active, Jesus is active. So for you and I to be passive, even passive over sin in our lives, passive over things on our job, in our neighborhoods, you and I should embrace the fact that, wait a minute, that's not who I am. Adam was not created to be passive. Adam was created to be an active image bearer in the garden. And he chose to go passive. And as a result... 
as a result, sin entered the world. God is always active. He's always doing something. Jesus is always active. He's healing people. He's talking to the woman uh, caught in adultery. He's talking to the woman at the well. He is always active. He is always doing something in our life. So the question is for you and I, are we embracing that, man, is that who we, that it contradicts who we are? Here's the second one. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what lies beneath. So the question is, like this iceberg, why did I go passive in that moment? Let me ask you a question. Why do we tend to go passive in moments where we need to be active? Why do you think we go passive in those moments? I'm sorry? Yeah, fake, uh, uh, afraid of making the wrong decision. Yeah. Okay. Afraid of being a hypocrite. You may fall. What are, sometimes it's just easier not to make the decision, and it's easier just to let it go and to be peacekeepers versus peacemakers. There's a difference. Peacemakers are those individuals who quell hostilities. Peacekeepers are those who placate hostilities. I don't want to experience the wrath. I don't want to experience rejection. So I am going to just kind of smooth it over and not say anything because it will cause more tension in the relationship. So it's just easier not to say anything at all. I don't know if the reason Adam didn't say anything is because he was afraid that Eve was going to say, I don't know, she was going to go off on him or something. I don't know, just, just get a tongue lashing by you. I don't know that. We don't know. He just didn't say anything. And as a result, there was something happening beneath the surface of his heart. We don't know what, but we can make a guess. And some of those guesses is avoidance, peacekeeping versus peacemaker, uh, peacekeeping versus peace, peacemaking. Uh, we are afraid of rejection. So, so ask the Holy Spirit, why am I not making this decision right now? And why am I going quiet? Why am I going passive in this moment? Am I afraid of something? What am I afraid of? What am I avoiding? Am I av- avoiding conflict? Did I ha- do I have conflict in my past with mom and dad? And as a result, I am now avoiding that. So here's a, here's a uh, when I was growing up, um, when I was growing up, I saw my dad hit my mom. I remember like it was yesterday. Saw him, they were at a party, and my dad, my mother did not want to dance, and, and somebody else wanted to dance with my dad, And my mother got upset, and I saw my father grab my mother by both her hands and hit her across her face. Remember it like it was yesterday. So there was conflict. So we drove home, and they're yelling and screaming and cussing all 
on the in, in the neighborhood. It's like two two o'clock in the morning. We're 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 hearing and we're hearing all the cussing and fussing, and um, my dad didn't stay at the house that night. He went and stayed at a friend's house, but my mom locked all the doors. Living in Chicago, boat lock, uh, a boat lock, a chain lock, and another lock, and we had burglar bars on the window and a whole nine. And so. So in the middle of the night, I knew that my dad couldn't get back in. My dad and I, we were just like this. We were Ace Boone Coons. That's what we call on the street, Ace Boone Coons. We were like, we were besties. And my dad couldn't get in the house. But because he was my best friend and my mom was my best friend, I was conflicted. So my brother and I said, okay, you go unlock the door so dad can get in. No, you go unlock the door so dad can get in. So I was the one that actually went and unchained and unlocked the door so he was able to get back in, get his toiletries and all of those kinds of things. In that moment was born a level of passivity in me. And until the Holy Spirit dealt with what was underneath, I went passive in a lot of decisions because I was afraid of conflict. I was afraid that I was going to relive dad being kicked out of the house and not being able to get back in. And I needed to be a peacekeeper in the house. I needed to make everything smooth and everything okay. So when I needed to speak up, I didn't speak up. Even though I know, knew some things were wrong, and I took that into my high school. I took that into my college years. Why? Because I wanted to be everybody's best friend. Because if I told them about their lives, about what they were doing wrong, not in a bad way, not in an obnoxious way, but in a way of love, I was afraid that I was going to lose friendship. And I went passive on so many things. I look back over my life. There are some things that I should have said. There are some things I should have done that I did not do. And it took the Holy Spirit saying, there's a big old iceberg underneath all the decisions that you, a lot of the decisions that you were making. You were afraid. You were avoidance. You, you played the avoidance game. You became defensive. You justified certain things. And it took the Holy Spirit saying, you have a stronghold of passivity. And until you deal with it, you'll take it into your marriage. You'll take it into your relationship with your children. You'll take it into your relationship with your friends. You'll take it into your relationship with people uh, that you're leading. So what's underneath the surface causing us to be passive? So let me get, let, let's get specific. Let's get specific. So I want, you, I want you to do an exercise. If you have paper, if you have paper, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I, these are large areas of your life and my life. These are large areas of influence in your life. All right? So, so what I want you to do, you can do part of it now, and you can do part of it when you go home. I want you to take a sheet of paper for each one of these, and just title at the top, God. 
all right? And then I want you to take another sheet of paper, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. That's if, you're, if, you, if you have a significant other. Family and children, friends, another one. Job, school, work, sports, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, kind of a, you know, you do your recreation. Church and community, ministry, if you have, if you're involved in ministry, and then your personal life. I want you to have so that's uh, nine sheets of paper. You can, this can be an exercise when you go home, but I want you to take one of them now, and I want you to label it at the top, and I want you to begin to answer this question. Where have I gone passive in these areas of my life? Where have I needed to make decisions for God and I've chosen not to. And like Adam, I have given the enemy a foothold in my life because I have not done what I should have done when I needed to do it at that time. So where have I gone passive with God? Have I just simply not, have I, have I not been praying? Have I gone passive in my prayer life? Have I gone passive in my Bible study and Bible reading, uh, Bible reading and Bible study life? Have I gone passive in listening to the Spirit of God? I used to hear him prompt me to do certain things, but now I, I hear him, but I don't even act on what he says anymore. Okay? So spouse, boyfriend, uh, I, I would, um, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, have I, as a husband, have I gone passive in taking the lead and leading my wife in prayer? Have I gone passive in leading, not in an obnoxious way, not in an abusive way, but laying hands on her, not in an abusive way. I'm talking, I'm talking about in an in abusive way. I'm talking about laying hands on her and saying, I am going to, before you leave the house today, I am going to bless you in the name of Jesus. I am going to ask God's blessing over you as you walk out of the house. Or even as a spouse, as a, as a, as a wife, I am going to lay hands on you, my husband, and I am going to bless you. I am going to ask God's blessing on you because you're about to go out into the world and you are about to go to a job where many of them don't respect you. They don't honor your, your work. And I'm just going to simply ask God's blessing over you as you work in a, in a world where the values of God are not honored and respected. Before your children leave the home, as a couple, I, we are going to surround our children. And for those of you who have smaller children, we're going to surround our children. And before they leave the house, we're going to lay hands on them. We're going to bless them. We're going to pronounce the Aaronic prayer over them. May the Lord keep you and, and, and uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you to cause his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. As you go into high school, as you go into middle school, as you go into elementary school, and you're going to be rubbing shoulders with individuals who do not honor the God values that we, we, we honor. And I'm asking God's protection over you. Every now and then, every now and then, when the kids were in school, um, I'll wait until they're asleep, 
and I'll go to, to the outside of their room. I, if I went inside and did that while they were sleeping, they would think like I'm like really, really weird. I stand on the outside of their door, and I pray the armor of God over them. I pray the helmet of salvation over them. I pray them that pray that they would use the sword of the Spirit. I pray that they, their feet would be pre- uh, prepared with the gospel. And I think part of the reason, um, part of the reason we have seen what God has done in their lives. And again, I, am, I, I, failed, I failed in so many areas. I've gone passive in so many areas. But I believe part of the reason why, my, my, I think I mentioned this, my oldest son, my oldest son had a crisis of faith when he was a junior in high school. He made the freshman basketball, t- or he, he, you know, he got cut from the freshman basketball team. He actually made the sophomore team, and uh, he should have made the, the varsity team, but he got cut. And he was angry. Believe there are some, you know, again, some believe, you know, other players on the team believe there were politics involved. Um, he was very, very angry. And he began doubting his faith. And then one night he came to me and said, Dad, how do you know when God is talking to you? I said, well, you can, you can know by, based on, um, you know, it, 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 um, it jibes with Scripture, number one. Spirit of God gives you witness that he's speaking, that God is speaking to you. And then it can be confirmed by other believers. So, so why are you asking the question? He said, well, I was in the shower, and, um, and I think I heard God tell me to start a Bible study. I said, I think that's God talking to you, bro. I think that's God talking to you. Now, mind you, he's in a public high school. We made a choice to send our kids to a public high school so we could be sought in light in those areas. So he said, I think I'm, I said, okay, you're going to start a Bible study. So he, he got all of the information together. He did what he was, you know, did what he was supposed to do. And he said, okay, here's a date that we're going to start. Now, to know my son, my son, my son is Adam in the garden. To know my son, he is not a Bible study leader. He is very, very introverted, chill. So, so the first Bible study, it was me, him, Micah, and two kids from his high school in our basement 6.30 on a Saturday night. Second week, he put out flyers. It's eight of us now. The next week, he did it again. Now, text messages, so forth and so on. Now, 15 showed up. By the end of the year, because he started halfway through the year, by the end of the year, he averaged about 15 to 16 kids from a public high school who didn't know Jesus meeting in our home on a Saturday night between 6.30 and when we kicked them out of our house. So he ended that year. He said, Dad, I want to do it again this time the whole year. 
So all summer, he's preparing. He's preparing to kick off the Bible study for the second year. He chose not to try out for the varsity basketball team. In fact, he says, I'm done with basketball because I had made basketball a god and an idol in my life. He started the Bible study second year. The first Bible study, we had 40 kids in our house. 40 kids in a Bible study on a Saturday night between 6.30 and when we kicked them out of our house. 40 kids. Second year, he averaged 30 kids, the Bible study. They had a Q&A, a Q&A, all the difficult questions, uh, how do we know God exists, Islam, so forth and so on. This is a, this is a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid who says, we want to we t- tackle the tough questions. 60 kids show up at our house on the Q&A night. This is all student-led. Tanya and I are not even allowed in the basement. We just supply food. We're not allowed. It is a student-led Bible study. Third year, which is this past year, this past year, still averaging 30 kids from a public high school, many of them non-believers, and now they are believers. I wish I could tell you the story of Ashton. Ashton was, Ashton is, a, is in Micah's grade. Ashton is in Micah's grade. They've become really good friends. Ashton lives in a broken home. Ashton was literally on his way to hell, smoking weed like everybody else at Hazlitt High School. He started hanging out with Micah and Marvin, and, and he called us to ask. He said, I have about 20 questions that I want to ask about God, about faith, and about the Bible. Can you meet me at Burger King? And I want to ask these questions. And we sat up. And we probably spent two hours answering his question. Now, Ashton gave his life to Jesus and now is about to go to Tijuana on his first mission trip in a couple of weeks. So had Marvin gone passive and said, you know something? I got cut from the basketball team. I'm going to just not do anything. And I'm going to go and I'm going to figure I'm going to do high school. And I'd be glad when I'm done. I think we would have missed, he would have missed what God did in these three years of his high school career, or two years of his high school career and his one year of college. So I asked the questions, where have we gone passive? Individually, as a family, as a church, as a family in our neighborhood, in our community? And begin to ask God, God, what do you want us to do about that? What do you want us to do? And, um, and so as we do that, I believe God will activate our wills. I believe God will take the inertia away. And he will cause us to um, be active in our communities, be active in our families in such a way that we'll begin to see... Um, we'll begin to see lives change in a way that we never have seen before.
I think God wants to do something, create something in us. I love the early, the early church, the Acts church. They moved and they made decisions as a result. So let me pray with you, pray for us as we leave together. God, thank you that you are an active God, that you are a God that's always doing something, that's always moving. Thank you that you sent your son, and he didn't just watch us die and waddle in our sin. He actually went to the cross, and he actually gave his nails, his, his hands to the nails and his feet to the spikes. He gave his side to the spear, gave his head to the crown. He was beaten for you and for me. For he was beaten for us as a people. So God, thank you. Thank you that you went, to, went into action for us. And so we pray that you would uh, empower us. You would um, create this sense of energy in us to do something for your glory and honor. Help us as dads. Help us as husbands. Help us as wives and mothers. Help us as elders and deacons. Help us as pastors and leaders in our churches. Help us as community leaders, God. Help us to not turn a blind eye and to those things that are happening in our world. And we pray most of all, God, we would not go passive with our own spirituality, with our own relationship with you, that we would be so, uh, you, we, you would create such passion in us that um, we would do things for your glory and honor. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.